Welcome to the Pathway Church Podcast, where you'll find fresh messages uploaded weekly. Pathway Church is a Bible-based church located in Peterborough, Ontario, and we're on a mission to reach people far from God and see them become devoted followers of Jesus. We hope that what you hear today will help you to take one step closer to Jesus. Thanks so much for joining us, and if you like what you hear, don't forget to subscribe. Great to see you. Hey, when I was a little kid, I remember uh, walking into the living room, and I was just a little squirt. And I remember walking in and seeing my parents' Bible sitting on the coffee table, and I remember leafing through it out of curiosity, and I stumbled onto some words in that book that were written in red. Maybe some of you have seen this before. It was a red-letter Bible. And so I remember asking my parents, I was like, hey, uh, what's up with the red letters over here? And they went on to explain to me, they said, those red letters are the words of Jesus, which shocked me because I thought the whole book was the words of Jesus. I was a little kid. And they went on to explain, oh, no, no, this, this whole book is this compilation of books. It tells the story of, of God's people, and God inspired it all. But the red letters are the words that Jesus spoke when he was here on the earth. And I was like, wow. And I remember every time I opened that Bible, I would, like, look for the red words. Because they were obviously the most important ones, and I would kind of leaf through, and I'd read those things. And they were always full of stories, which was amazing. And I, I, even as a kid, I could understand many of the stories that Jesus told, and I thought that was uh, that was. That was pretty cool. You know, the words of Jesus have, have been often quoted, not only by Christians, but by leaders, politicians, philosophers around the world for centuries. But the words of Jesus also, have also been misquoted. And uh, today we're beginning a four-week message series, and in this message series we'll be addressing four things that Jesus never said. So it should be a little bit of fun uh, as we kind of think through some of the things that maybe we might have thought or mistakenly believe that Jesus said that he actually, that he actually didn't. You might say, well, why would we do that? Well, uh, because sometimes we hear things and we go, of course Jesus said that. Or we hear things and we go, of course that's true. But upon deeper inspection, we realize that perhaps it's not something Jesus said. So let me start over with a couple fun ones. Just kind of throw them out there. This will be fun. Um, here's the first one. Cleanliness is next to godliness. Mothers all over the world have been chasing their kids around the house saying, cleanliness is next to God. It's in the Bible. It's somewhere. I'm telling you. It's in Proverbs, right? And of course, that's not actually in the Bible. Yes, keep your room clean, tidy up. That's fine. But, but Jesus never said that, as great as it sounds. Uh, so that's one. Here's another one. Um, you're perfect just the way you are. It sounds so nice. It sounds so affirming and wrong. <laughs> And if you've been in a relationship for anybody with anyone for any length of time, you know that's not true. Uh, if we were perfect, Jesus wouldn't have had to come and die for us. <laughs> if we were perfect, we wouldn't have to go to school and learn stuff because we'd already know it all. So obviously that's not true. Here's the truth. You're loved just the way you are. But God loves you so much, he won't leave you there. He'll lead you somewhere better and he'll teach you his ways. So we're moving on from those. Today I want to begin our series and today we're going to attack or address, I, I like to attack things. Uh, we're going to attack this idea, or maybe deconstruct it is a, is a nicer way to say it. Um, and before I show you this, this, this phrase that many people attribute to Jesus, which he didn't say, um, whether you've ever been to church before, you'll know it. If you've never opened a Bible, you will, know, you will be able to complete this sentence. I, know, I was sitting the other day typing these notes in for the screen, and, uh, and my 11-year-old son and my 8-year-old daughter came up, and they saw the blank, and they knew it instantly. So I know. I know that you're going to get it. So here's what it is. Forgive and... Wow. See? You all knew it. And some of you are going, like, wait a minute. <laughs> Jesus said that, didn't he? Nope. He did not. 
It's in the Bible somewhere. <laughs> nope, it is, it is not. Uh, people just assume that this is in the Bible. I've even heard it taught in church. And I suppose there's a sense in which this is a good statement. There is a sense, depending how you interpret the words and apply it, there is a sense in which it's true. But I want to show you today some of the dangers of it. And then I want to show you what precisely Jesus did teach about the subject of forgiveness. He never said forgive and forget. Here's what Jesus taught us to do. You ready for it? It's going to blow your mind. Forgive. (laughs) That's what he actually said. Forgive. No exceptions, no qualifiers, no excuses, no way out. Forgive and forget was never something he said, but he did teach us and he instructed us and commanded us to forgive. What I, what I think I should do before I read to you the summary version of what Jesus taught on the subject of forgiveness, I want to read a parable. And then this is one of those little stories that I stumbled upon as a kid, which just blew my mind and it made so much sense. And I think it'll help us to sort of frame our mind or wrap it around this idea of forgiveness. It's found in Matthew 18. I'm not going to put it on the screen because I want you just to listen to the words as they were written. Matthew chapter 18, verse 23, Jesus tells this story speaking about forgiveness. He says, therefore... The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents, millions and millions of dollars beyond what anyone could repay. I added that in to explain it to you, okay? And since he could not pay, this debt was so large, he couldn't pay it, the master ordered him to be sold and his wife and his children. How many of you know your family is impacted by your wrongdoings and debts? Okay, And so this is a disastrous result. And payment was to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring the king, have patience with me and I'll pay you everything, even though he couldn't. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him, forgave the debt in its entirety. Wow. But when the same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. It was a small amount of money. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe. So the servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I'll repay you. But he refused, and he put him in prison until he could pay the debt. When his fellow servants, the other people around, saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported to the master, to the king, all that had taken place. By the way, the king represents God. And then his master, the king, summoned the man. And said, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should you not have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had had mercy on you. And then he proceeds to throw the guy in jail. And so in light of that, what Jesus says in his Sermon on the Mount as his definitive statement on forgiveness will make a lot of sense. Here's what he says in Matthew chapter 6 verse 14. He says, for if you, and notice these words, forgive. If you forgive others their trespasses... Your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others your trespasses, neither will your Father forgive yours. That's pretty serious stuff. Jesus is like, basically, your willingness or unwillingness to forgive the people that have harmed you, that owe you something, will determine whether my forgiveness comes to you. And and the servant, this parable of the unforgiving servant, explains how that works. Now, what's interesting to me is I studied these passages, all the words of Jesus on the subject of forgiveness. I was reading them this week and studying them in preparation. And a couple things jumped out at me. Here's the first thing that jumped out at me. Jesus never told us how to forgive. Like he didn't say, here are the steps. Here's what it looks like to forgive somebody. Do this, do this, and then you're good. 
He just says, do it. So that's a little troubling, and we'll come back to that at the end of the message. We'll, we'll show you what he actually did for us. Uh, here's the second thing that jumped out to me. Because I was, I was studying, and when I'm studying the Bible, I'm looking at the words in the original language. So Jesus' words were recorded in Greek and then translated into English, and sometimes stuff gets lost in translation. So I'm looking at the original language, the Greek words, trying to discover if maybe the word he uses for forgive will shed some light on what he means and how we're to do it. Make sense? And so here's what I was alarmed by as I started to look at it. That Jesus uses a very, very common word for forgive. Very, very common. And the word, I'll throw it up on the screen in case you care about Greek. All right, the Greek word is alphiemi. And this, it literally means let go, leave behind, send away. This word is used over 140 times in the New Testament. And 28 of those times, so a very small percentage, it's translated into English forgive. All the other times, it's translated let go or leave it behind, which is fascinating. So here's an example of how the word is used in other places. Uh, Matthew 4, verse 20, Jesus calls the disciples. They're on the boats fishing. And it says, immediately they forgave their nets and followed him. So obviously the Bible trainer is like, no, nah, we can't use forgive there. That doesn't make sense. They left behind their nets. So literally what the disciples did is they had their nets and they, and they let them go. And they followed Jesus. That's the word that Jesus uses when he says, forgive others and your heavenly father will forgive you. Let go of the debts that other people owe you. And I will let go of the debt that you owe me. Isn't that powerful? That's the word that he uses in the text, which I just found remarkable. And one of the things I've noticed about the subject of forgiveness is this. It's not easy to let go. Uh, years ago, uh, a friend of mine, I was a young adult, and a friend of mine offered to teach me how to water ski. And when someone offers to teach you how to water ski, they're usually a pretty sadistic person. At least that's my impression. He wasn't really a friend because he was going to sit behind his 200-horsepower speedboat with some iced tea and slam my face into the lake over and over again and be like, wasn't that fun? That's sadistic. I'm just throwing that out there. And I remember um, my first and only time trying to water ski, and I, <laughs> I was in the water, and I had my life jacket, and I had my skis in front of me, and they told me exactly what to do, lean back, you know, straighten up, and I'm holding on to this handle that's connected to a boat that was way too powerful. And, and I'm sitting in the water, and he's like, you ready? And I'm like, yep. And he just pins the thing. Because that's what you have to do. You have to pin the thing. So he pins the thing, and I'm like, you know, ah! And I'm like starting to come up out of the water. I'm like, yeah, I'm going to do it. And then I went forward. And what happened next was um, I went headfirst into the lake. And I remember being dragged through the lake. Weeds banging off my head. Heads go this way. I'm like, ah! I'm hanging on for dear life. Being dragged through the lake by the motorboat. Until finally the handles ripped out of my hands, and I float to the surface, amazed that I'm alive. So the boat swings around and take a sip of the iced tea. Want to try that again? No, thank you. Take me to the shore. And uh, so he takes me back to the shore. And I, I remember coming back to the shore and my family was there. And you know what they said to me? They're all looking at me like, why didn't you just let go? And I thought about it. I was like, apparently letting go is not natural. Apparently you have to learn to let go of the rope. Because my natural instinct was to grab on for dear life, to white-knuckle it and somehow fix this thing. And it's a funny example, but in life, is that not true? Like, if somebody wrongs you and there's no way in the world they could ever pay you back, someone looking onto your situation would be like, why don't you just let it go? <laughs> no, I'm holding on 
for dear life. Why? Because you owe me. Because something was done, taken from me, whatever, and there's a debt that's owed, and if I let go of it, it's unjust. It's not fair. So I'm going to just hold on to that thing. And, and what's amazing is as Jesus enters into this conversation of forgiveness, here's what he does. He invites us to let it go. He invites us. No, he commands us. There's really not much of an option. He says, let it, let it go. Let go of the debts that are owed to you. And, uh, and I know that even bringing up a subject like this, right, all of us, including myself, it's like uncomfortable. It's like, oh, man, Just talking about forgiveness stirs up all kinds of hidden emotions and things that you would rather not think about today. You're like, I came to church, and now you're talking about this? I thought this was going to be a funny series, and now this? And, and rightfully so. When someone takes something from you, when they abuse you, when they neglect you, when they said they were going to do it and they didn't do it, when they took off, when they should have been there, and whatever the story is, when that happens, there's something inside of us that wants to hold on to the hurt, that wants to hold on to the debt that they owe us, and we scream out for justice. That's the natural response. And yet Jesus has the audacity to come along and say, to forgive. Just, just so simple. Just forgive and let it go. And that's why I want to I talk today about this idea of forgive and forget. Because here's, here's what I can guarantee you. The answer you're seeking is not going to be found in forgetting what happened. It's going to be found in truly forgiving and letting go. And I want to learn a little bit about what that looks like today. I can tell you this, as we come to this idea of forgive and forget, that Jesus never taught us to pretend to forget. <laughs> Or to pretend stuff didn't happen. That's not in the Bible. That's a nice idea. To sweep stuff under the rug and pretend it never happened is never something that Jesus or the Bible teach us to do. And yet, honestly, in church sometimes that's been the message. It's like, oh, pretend it didn't happen. Say, for, say they're forgiven and move on. And there are these hurts that have been buried deep within our souls. And then when somebody like me stands up and preaches a sermon on forgiveness, it's like, Rah! it all starts coming out, Right? All the stuff that's been hiding under the carpet starts to surface, and you're like, I thought I forgot, forgot about that, but actually I, I didn't. Um, so, three ways. I want to share with you three ways uh, in which forgive and forget. Now, I recognize this it can be a helpful phrase, but three ways forgive and forget can mislead us on the subject of forgiveness. Here's the first one. <laughs> Should be obvious. We can't forget. Like, it's not possible. You're not a computer. Like, I wish when someone did something to me uh, that offended or hurt me that I could just kind of go through like you do on your computer and pick those files and be like, delete, delete, don't forget to empty the recycle bin or they're still there. You know, so it's like this idea of just removing those things and, oh, I don't even have to remember those things. They're gone. How many of you know it doesn't work like that? The only way you can delete files is if your brain is broken. If there's disease or deterioration or something wrong with your, your mind, you will remember. Specifically, events that were emotional and difficult, those ones really stick, don't they? And so it's impossible to forget. And so if Jesus actually said forgive and forget, he would tell us to do something we can't do. Would you agree? And so he didn't say forgive and forget because we, we can't forget. People would argue, perhaps, uh, that the Bible teaches that this is the way God works. And here's a, a verse or two that they might use. Let me show them to you. Might as well just get them right out there, right? Isaiah 43, 25. This is one I heard often. I am he, God speaking to the Israelite nation. 
I am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake, and I will not remember your sins. You're like, see? God forgets. You come to God, and you're like, God, please forgive me for this and this and this. And he's like, what? You did what? <laughs> no, he's, he didn't forget. What he's saying is, I'm the one who has, has cleared the debt on your behalf, and therefore, since the debt has been paid, I have paid it, then I will not remember it. I won't call it to mind in future dealings with you and judge you for it in the future because I've paid it for you. That's what he's saying. That's very different. Someone else might say, well, Paul taught us to forget. He said this in Philippians 3, verse 13. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. You say, see, Paul says, forget what's behind. Everything in your past, just forget it. Delete, 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 delete. That's not what he's saying. If you read the whole chapter, and I always encourage people, if you're reading a Bible verse, read the whole chapter. Because about seven or eight verses before, he lists out all the things he'd done in his lifetime. I was a Pharisee. I was a religious person. I did good things. I kept the law, and then I persecuted the church. Like He's reciting all the good things and all the bad things he had done in his life. He hadn't forgotten anything. What he's saying when he says, forgetting what lies behind, is he's like, I am not my identity is not based on the good things I did in the past, and this is good news, it's not based on the bad things you've done in the past. Do you know one of the hardest people to forgive is yourself? Like when you start to think, you're like, oh, this person did that, and you go, oh boy, I did that. I owe debts to this person and that person, and we can sometimes forgive other people, we can't forgive ourselves. Paul's like, I'm not living in the past. I'm leaving that behind, and I'm, I'm my my identity is going to be in who God has made me to be, that I'm forgiven, I'm a child of God, and I'm going to live for his glory, and I'm going to go in this direction. I'm not, I'm not. He didn't teach us to forget the past. He was teaching us not to live in the past. That's the difference. So, why is forgive and forget a bad idea? Well, because number one, we can't forget. Here's number two. Forgiveness is often a process. I say often because I suppose there are some one and done forgiven things, you know? Someone calls me a name, and they're like, oh, so, so sorry, I didn't mean that. I was like, okay. There's like no long-term damage. No, it's like, it's fine. We're good. Um, but most of the time, life isn't that simple. Would you agree? Many of the things that people have done to wrong us, hurt us, betray us, uh, those things, there's a process. It's not just like, and again, I was kind of taught this as a kid. Just say, I forgive you, and pretend it didn't happen. Forget it. It's fine. But what I realized later in life, as I talk to many of you and hear your stories, is that Sometimes the debt that is owed you keeps resurfacing, and it's difficult, and it's, and it's actually a process. Uh, what I wanted to do is, is illustrate this for you. I need someone from the crowd to come up and, and just help me out here to illustrate this. We've got somebody that can do that? Just come on up. All right. It's Travis, right? Come on up here, Travis. All right. All right. I've got uh, uh, Travis came to me before church, and this didn't happen, it's hypothetical, but he came to me before church, like, you know, dude, I'm really in a tough spot financially, and I need, I need some money, and uh, I gotta pay you back in like, six months. let's go with something a little more current, like, six days, six days okay, let's, let's make it a week, all right, so, so Travis like, I need $2,000, and I'm gonna give him, the, this is $20 American, it's all I had in my wallet, but it's, it's gonna represent $2,000 U.S., American money, that's worth like 4,000 Canadian, something like that. <laughs> anyway, so I got this $2,000, and he's promised me he's going to give it back to me in a week, okay? So I'm going to give it to him in good faith. That's what's going to happen, right? And then next week, I'm going to get it back. So everyone give him a round of applause. You can take that back to your seat, and 
We'll chat after. Oh, we will. <laughs> no, hang on to it for me. All right. So this is gonna, we're, we're going to keep chatting, right? You're going to stay there. We're going to keep chatting. All right. So I've now lent Travis this $2,000 of my hard-earned money. It was my last $2,000, but, you know, I know Travis is good for it. So I, I loan him that money, and, and a week goes by, and I call Travis. I'm like, hey, Travis, you know, um, can I get that money back from you now? And he says, oh, you know, um, uh, something's come up. I need another week. Okay, no problem. All right. Next week, I call him back two weeks from now. Uh, you know, um, actually, uh, something else came up, and it's like, okay, fine. I'll wait. And then a month goes by, and two months goes by, and six months goes by. Nobody ever has experienced anything like this in the room, all right? So all this time goes by, and eventually it dawns on me, Travis is not paying me back. Now, I've got two options at this point. Option number one, hold that debt over Travis for the rest of his life. Like every time I see Travis, I'm just like, Travis. I have a brother named Travis, so I mean, I got practice saying that. I'm like, Travis. <laughs> so I'm like, every time, like I'm walking through the mall and I see him and he starts going the other way and I'm like, Travis. And I see him driving by and I almost go off the road because I'm so mad because he owes me a debt. And I've got two options. And by the way, this would probably be a good point um, to interject for the fact that reconciliation and forgiveness are actually two different things. So forgiveness is what you do. It's you releasing, letting go of the debt. Reconciliation is two people doing that and, and the relationship being healed. All right? So reconciliation involves forgiveness, but it requires two people. And so we go, oh, okay, well, the other person didn't say they're sorry. The other person hasn't paid me back, so therefore, there's nothing I can do. Well, you can still forgive, but in order to reconcile the relationship, that's a whole other set of sermons about how that process works, and we actually did a whole series about it. But reconciliation and forgiveness are different, but, but I've got Travis, and, and so it's bothering me, Travis. It's really bothering me. So I, I, brought, I brought this for, for a little illustration here. This is a shredder, by the way. So I got the shredder because every time I think of Travis, every time I see Travis, I'm just like, Travis, you owe me. 2,000 U.S., that's a lot of Canadian. You owe me that. And, and there comes this moment where I'm like, okay, I'm going to decide to forgive, which doesn't mean I say the words. It means that I release the debt that he owes me. Like, I'm not going to hold it against him. I'm not going to keep requiring it. I'm just going to, I'm going to let it go. And by the way, in doing so, I'm incurring the cost of that debt on myself, right? Like, I'm out the 2000 And this is the worst part about forgiveness, is that the person who has to forgive, the person who's been victimized, is actually the person that often has to pay the debt. But the only other option is to hold on to it and have it destroy you. So I decide. I, heard, I came to church, and I heard Nathan on the stage saying, Jesus said, you got to forgive. So I'm like, I'm letting Travis go. Travis? Your debt is forgiven. You no longer owe me the $2,000. So this is the process I'm talking about, the process. So, so then, um, about a month later, scrolling through Facebook, and I, and I see a post from Travis, and he's in the Dominican on the beach. And he's sipping one of those drinks with a little uh, umbrella in it. <laughs> Iced tea, Yeah. He's there, and, he, and I see the picture, and, and I reach into my pocket, and I realize <laughs> I thought I'd forgiven him, <laughs> but I had one of these little pocket cards that says, you owe me, and it was just kind of stashed away. I know none of you have ever experienced this before. <laughs> it's like, I forgave, and then you remember, and it's like, oh, perhaps there's a part of me that still hasn't, and so you go through the whole process again. 
I'm letting go. I'm releasing the debt that Travis owes me. Whew, forgiveness is done. And then you go to the mall. And there's something you really need to buy, you know, textbooks for school, something really important that you can't live without, and your debit card goes insufficient funds. And I thought I'd forgiven Travis, but I reach into my wallet, and my American money is gone. And what do I find in my wallet is a little tiny, you owe me note. <laughs> and I'm still thinking of Travis. Did you see what I'm saying? Forgiveness is a, is a decision, sure. But you don't forget, and so then it has to be a continual process of letting go. And every time you do, it gets smaller until it's gone. And I take out this little note, and I'm like, God bless Travis. <laughs> and I... And then, you, and then you come to church, and the pastor starts talking about how Jesus says you have to forgive, and it's like, oh, Travis, right? And you start rooting around, and you realize there's a piece you missed. And so I hope that's a helpful illustration that, that forgiveness is a process. It's not a one and done. That's why this idea of forgive and forget isn't adequate, because you do remember, and the process continues of saying, I let it go, I let it go, I let it go. And so even though forgiveness is a process, um, <laughs> it doesn't mean it's optional, okay? It doesn't mean it's optional. One time, uh, one of Jesus' disciples, Peter, he, 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 comes to, he comes to Jesus, and he's asking about how often, how many times do you have to forgive somebody? Like, how, where's the line where you stop forgiving? And that's a great question. He says, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me? harm me, take from me, do something wrong, and I forgive him. Like, how many times do I have to let it go? As many as seven? That's, that's pretty reasonable. Like, seven times? It's a good number. Maybe he's expecting Jesus to go, mm, let's make it 10 or 12, 13, baker's dozen. Like, let's, let's pick a number. But Jesus doesn't do that. Um, Jesus says to him, I, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times, or what that actually means is 70 times seven which for those who are not good at math, that's 490 times. It's a lot of times to forgive someone. Uh, the disciples, when they heard Jesus say this, would have understood this is an analogy. He's saying it's limitless. You keep forgiving. You keep letting it go because the alternative isn't good. So you keep forgiving. It's not 490 times because honestly, how many relationships can you be in that someone's going to offend you, hurt you 490 times, maybe other than marriage? Because if you live with somebody for three or four or five decades, you might cross the same bridge enough times where you're like, hey, I hit the limit, 490, I'm out of here, Jesus said. That's not what he was saying. He's saying, we let it go. We let, there's no limit to it. We let it go. We let it go. Here's the third reason uh, why this idea of forgive and forget can be somewhat misleading. Um, someone always pays. The idea of forgive and forget in my mind is like, okay, I say I forgive you and then I sweep it under the carpet. So it's out of sight, out of mind. How many of you know what happens when you put something under a carpet? Nothing. It stays there. You can come back a decade later and lift up that carpet and what you put under there, guess what? Still there. Depending on what you put in there, it might have grown. (laughs) Okay? And this is true. Like if you just bury stuff, it's still there. And, and so the fact of the matter is someone always, always pays. Uh, when we sin against God, God doesn't just go like, oh, I forgot about it. 
oh, it doesn't matter, throw it in the ocean, east is from the west, it's gone. No, someone always pays. I remember the first time I experienced this reality. Uh, many years ago, I was a business owner, and I bought a portion of a company, and I was working with a number of uh, my partners. And uh, we were building windows for new homes. And I remember this the first time, it happened many times, the first time this happened, this, this guy came in and ordered a, a big thing of windows and doors for a new custom home. It was a beautiful house. And uh, we, we sold him the stuff, we manufactured all the windows, we shipped them all there, he installed them in the house, and I was doing accounts receivable, so I called him up three or four weeks after we delivered the windows, and I said, hey, um, you have a bill of 19000 whatever, $20,000? And uh, the guy says, oh, yeah, 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 so sorry I haven't paid, the, the bank hasn't released the money yet, I'll, I'll call you this week and we'll settle up. Fantastic. Month goes by, no phone call. I call him again. Oh, yeah, yeah, so sorry. Uh, That's my fault. Check's in the mail. When someone says check's in the mail, it's not in the mail. (laughs) Sometimes it means they're intending to put it in the mail after they get off the phone. It's almost never in the mail. And so I remember thinking, great, money's in the mail. And then a month later, I called him again, and I got his voicemail. Another month, I started calling him back, and his number was disconnected. And so after about six months, I remember just like, Regularly, I would drive by this big, beautiful custom home with all our windows and doors in it that we had never been paid for, and I would think, those are really nice windows I gave you. Uh, and, and I remember sitting there looking at the accounts receivable and thinking, this is really terrible because this person is never going to pay. And I thought, I wonder who is going to pay? And then it dawned on me, I am. <laughs> me and my partners are paying for those windows in his beautiful custom home. And, and here's the thing, you can... You can hang on to that, and, and you can remember it, and you can drive by the house and seethe every time, or you can begin the process of letting it go, letting it go, not for their benefit, for yours, letting it go. But someone always pays. And I think um, one of the things that is, is super helpful, if you truly want to forgive, if, if I'm talking today and you're thinking of somebody who's like, all this stuff is churning inside of you, I would highly recommend that you quantify exactly what that person or those people owe you. Because if you don't actually, okay, that person did this to me, cost me this much financially, took a year of my life, took my purity, took whatever. Like you go through this list and you go, this is all the stuff they took. That's a very high cost. And because it's so valuable, you're not willing to let it go. But until you, until you, calculate what the cost was to you, you can't really forgive it all. And I remember I used to study um, revivalists and reformers, and uh, I love hearing the history of the church. And uh, I think it was in the 1800s, there was a guy by the name of Charles Grandison Finney, and he was traveling up and down the east coast of the United States, and he would preach about Jesus, and people would flood the altars and fall on the ground and repent, and it's like crazy stories. But I remember reading about how one of the things that he challenged the people listening in his audience to do, he said, listen, you do a week of meetings. He said, I want you to go home, and I want you to take a piece of paper, and I want you to write out everything you've done wrong. Go searching. He called it turning up the fallow ground. Dig around in your heart and write down everything you've done wrong. Write down everything you should have done that you didn't do. And people would literally have notebooks full of all the junk from their past. And he'd say, come on back tomorrow night, and they would come back. And he would, he would tell them to look at that. And he would say, do you realize how much you owe God? And they would stare at their sin and they would stare at their failure. And he would say, God has forgiven you in Christ Jesus. And all of it has been paid for. 
And because they saw the magnitude of their sin and failure, they could understand the magnitude of his grace and love. And until you do, until you calculate what is the cost of this thing, you won't even understand how great God's forgiveness is toward us. And if you can't let go of what someone else has done to you because the cost is so high, maybe you ought to stop and do an analysis to say, how much will it cost me to continue to live in unforgiveness? Because there's a cost for that too. And maybe that will be enough. And so maybe today you're here and you're like, okay, I've heard what you're saying. I've heard the words of Jesus. I want to forgive, but I thought you said Jesus didn't tell us how. That's true. Jesus didn't tell us how to forgive. I think I got a slide up there. He showed us how to forgive. That's so much better. That's so much better. He didn't say, here are the steps. He said, watch me. And he hung on the cross with nails in his arms and in his feet, and he lifted himself up so he could catch his breath to say, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Jesus demonstrated for us what it looks like to release others of the debts that they owe, and he's done it for us. And it's because of what he has done for us that we can then do it for others. Colossians 3, verse 13, Paul says this as he's talking to the church to tell them how they're to live with one another. Because, by the way, you a broken person, me a broken person, the person sitting beside you a broken person, there will always be a need for forgiveness because we fail each other. We fail God. And he says this, bearing bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. It's not an option, but he modeled it for us. He showed us what it looked like. He forgave us our debts. Therefore, we forgive others. That's what Jesus taught us how to pray. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this, daily, uh, give us this day our daily bread. And what? Forgive us. Let go of our faults and failures as we let go of the transgressions and the faults of others. This is the teaching of Jesus. And he has forgiven you. He has released you of the debt. But here's what he didn't do. God did not take your sin and sweep it under a rug and go, nobody will find that. He paid for it. He paid for all of it. Hebrews 9.26 says this, but as it is, he, Jesus, has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin. How did he do it? By the sacrifice of himself. Someone always pays. Jesus says, I'll pay. I'll pay for you, and I'll pay for you, and I'll pay for you, and he paid for me. And because of that debt, because we're, we sang about it this morning, because we are free, we can now love and forgive those who have debts against us. I was thinking about this. Um, when Jesus, on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he's sitting with his disciples, and they're having a meal, and they don't know Jesus is about to give his life for them. They don't know that yet. But he's sitting there having a meal, and he says, as often as you're eating a meal like this together, here's what I want you to do. Anybody know what he said? Remember. Remember. My body broken for you. He broke the bread, and he gave it to them, and they ate of it. He says, remember my blood shed for you, poured out to form a new covenant between you and God. He's like, I want you to remember how high the price was for you to be free. That's what Jesus tells his disciples to do. Why? Because someone's always going to owe us something. Someone's always going to betray us. Something's going to happen. And he says, remember what I've done for you. Andy Stanley says this. I love this quote. I wanted to share it with you. And it's a great way to kind of wrap this up. Here's what he says. 
in the shadow of my hurt. Forgiveness feels like a decision to reward my enemy. But in the shadow of the cross, forgiveness is merely a gift from one undeserving soul to another. Isn't that powerful? And every person in this room, if you're willing to accept it, your debt's been erased. The price has been paid once and for all. The question is, what are you going to do with that? Will you choose to forgive and to forgive and to forgive, to release, yes, the debts are wrong. Yes, they owe you, but will you let it go? Not easy, but he's let it go for you, and you can do it for others. And so here's how I'll close. Jesus did not teach forgive and forget. That's not what he taught. A better way to say this, I, 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 I thought about saying forgive and remember, but maybe it's better to say it this way. Remember what he has done for you, how your debts have been wiped clear, and then forgive others. When you realize that he has let you off the hook, no, he paid for it. He invites us to forgive others and do the same. Can we pray? Lord, we thank you so much for the words of Jesus that have been kept for us these 2,000 years. They're not easy words, but they're words that transform us, that change our heart. God, I know that letting go of debts that are owed, it's never easy. It's painful. But God, you ask us to forgive others as you have forgiven us. And so, Lord, we want to do that. We want to we be able to release the debts that we've been holding on to, just grabbing onto for dear life, and you call us and command us to let it go. So Lord, would you give us the strength to do it? Would you allow us today to maybe see for the first time how great a debt we owe you and allow the receiving of that forgiveness to be demonstrated as we forgive others in the same way? Thank you for what you did for us. Help us to live in that way with one another. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to the Pathway Church Podcast. If you'd like to reach out to us, go to our website, pathwaylife.com. And as always, don't forget to subscribe. See you next week.